So when she mm. told me that she was pregnant with Ava Madison, I'll never forget it. I had been in the bottle whiskey. We were at a family function and I looked at the, she called me up. She showed me the pregnancy stick and I didn't want to believe it. Didn't even talk to her rest of the night. Didn't even talk to her. I'm excited to do this, man, but welcome to the show. Yeah, man. I appreciate you. For everybody who doesn't know who you are, so we got Cole Rogers with us. And uh, Cole, you got an interesting story, like really interesting. We spent about 30, 35 minutes on the phone a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, man, I got to have this guy come on and, and tell his story because uh, I knew you were looking to share it. So for everyone who, who doesn't know who you are and doesn't know your story, like who's Cole? What's the 10,000 foot view? I'm perfectly flawed. Uh, and that's the way I put it. And that's it's one of those things that took me a long time to actually wrestle with that concept. You know, at the end of the day, we all are. And the quicker that you can realize that, the quicker you can go to work on yourself, in particular as a man, but from a 10,000 view. And it's, it's funny, as we're recording this this morning in my organization, School of Man, we have a new class and we were talking about that very thing. You know, who are you? A lot of us as men spend a lifetime trying to figure that, that out, right? Like that's... Identity is a big deal. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of us have no clue who the even are. We just really don't. And we pretend that we do, but we really don't, right? And all of a sudden we get caught in the trap. And every man that I know, including myself, is seeking freedom of some sort. And we go through these cycles of life. And I'll get to the question you asked me, but we go through these cycles of life of go through elementary school, middle school, junior high, high school, college, military, whatever it is. And you want to get into the box life and you want to buy the house, go work for the box, drive a box, so on and so forth. And you look up and you wonder what the hell happened. And a lot of us quit as men. We put so much emphasis on the past, on the big three of what I call it, sex, money, right? Athletics. Right. So it's all performance driven with us. And we get into the game and some of us get lost. Some of us just become zombie mode. And you see more men dying in the 30s and 40s. We just don't bury them until they're in their 80s. And they mm. have micro fractures throughout their life. And all of a sudden there comes a clean break. So I deal with men across the country and world uh, who are unhealthy alphas and are seeking to become that healthy alpha because a lot of times, and I've been there, you put yourself in the zoo as a lion and you forget how to roar. And so for me, I always tell people when they ask who is Cole Rogers at the core, for one, that's a question you shouldn't ask just one time. That's a question you should ask. That's the 10,000 foot view. And I'm taking extreme ownership of that. And I'm very proud of it. Where previously, before my whole story and my journey, you know, all of us go through this abyss Previously, I was ashamed to even admit that, you know, we wear these masks as men that we've accumulated from childhood, whether it be from the trauma, whether it be who we were picturing ourselves being in the future because of an archetype we personally have. But people tend to forget, like, my thumbprint's my thumbprint, your thumbprint's your thumbprint. And we spend so much energy conforming to what we think other people want us to be as men instead of being who we truly are. And mm. it takes something very painful in our life 
to really jolt us into the next evolution of who we are as a man. Because, you know, I wear this necklace, Memento Mori. I, I, I'm a big stoic. I, I love stoicism. Um, and I'm a big believer of, you know, meditate on your mortality mindset because none of us ever know. And in the school of man, we talk about the one second contract. So that's, that all plays into the part of really who this, who I'm constantly evolving into and being reborn into. And I'm okay with saying that. Hmm. Okay. A lot to unpack there. A lot mm-hmm. to unpack there. One thing that really just struck me when you said it is we have a lot of men dying in their thirties, but we don't bury them until, until their eighties. I want you to elaborate on that. Yeah. So you have a lot of, and I think everybody's watched the walking dead or at least know about the walking dead. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of men who, for whatever reason, place an upper limit on themselves at some point. And they go through this cycle of, hey, I'm going to get married just to, to get married. And, I, and I'll start there. All right. Mm. When I when I graduated from college of the University of Central Arkansas, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. That's where you are. Mm-hmm. And had a phenomenal five years there. But really got lost in figuring out who I was, right? Um, it's where I picked up habits of cocaine, brought in Adderall addiction from college, and I could produce with the best of the best of them. So sales is what I've always been in. And you have these specific visions, hey, make the trip, like make the company trip, um, get your bonus, be number one on the leaderboard, right? Yeah. So you, you begin to develop that type of identity. And I'm a very aggressive, competitive person as it is. Well, I did all those things and then I could see the writing on the wall and ended up moving to North Carolina. So moving to North Carolina. And um, with that being said, I knew I had to get out of Nashville. I had to change my environment. My environment needed to be a product of me. And that's where I met my fiance was in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Really, at that point, I was looking for companionship. But fast forward in a year that I, I lived there, we, we connected and then I moved here to Little Rock. A couple of years later, we ended up getting married. And I honestly got married because and I remember my buddy saying, like, are you sure you want to you're going to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Yeah, I love her. I absolutely love love her. But um, one of my my mask that I would always wear was sexual conquest, right? That's what I spent a large, everything was performance with me. Everything was and and sexual conquest. If anybody's ever read the book, Atlas Shrugged, there's a great excerpt in that book about this. And I'm getting to to what you asked me, but um, sexual conquest for a man is it's, it's a reflection of who he is, which is a lonely, lonely man. It's Mm. that, that, and that's the truth. That is the truth. And I've been there more than once. And then when I met Ash, I knew that she was put in my path for a reason because she could, she wouldn't let me steamroll her. Right. She was the one that was going to always fight back in the the most healthiest ways and hold me lovingly accountable. And what I brought into the marriage was an addiction, not only to the unhealthy substances, but addiction to lying and, and shame shaming myself. So when I got married, it was kind of like checking the box. I will never forget the, the, the night before our wedding, myself and my friends, we went out all night. I'd already had a bachelor party. I was coked out of my mind for four days in Nashville. And 
I was like, okay, I'm not doing that again. Right. And I would have these self-sabotaging loops because I, it was the imposter syndrome that I was dealing with, but I could produce, right? Like, Hey, go produce, go, go do your thing. Be number one, right? Let the coffers fill with money. Everything else is going to take care of itself. Yeah. Not, not before our wedding, same situation. I mean, I was like, Hey, I'm getting married tomorrow. Ended up snorting Adderall, staying up all night. I remember going to see her like at one or two in the morning and she, uh, she just bawled her eyes out. Like, what are you doing here? Et cetera. So that's how I started off my marriage. And that just is, but then I go to Costa Rica and with her and our honeymoon and I thought it was all about sex. Right. Like I was like, Hey, you know, that's what this is about. Right. This is, and she wanted to go enjoy herself, wanted to have fun. And I was dealing with an Achilles tear and injury, which again is another identity aspect of mine. Cause I'm an athlete. Well, one day she would basically not give me sex and it was that time of the month and it was, I was shitty, man. I'm out. I walked out, stormed out and went to the bar, got drunk. Mm. That's how I started my marriage, man. And then a month later, we, uh, we ended up getting pregnant with our first child and that wasn't in the plan. I always mm. have a plan, you know, and, and control for me is an insecurity. At the end of the day, it's my ego talking. So when she mm. told me that she was pregnant with Ava Madison, I'll never forget it. I had been in the bottle whiskey. We we're at a family function. And I looked at the, she called me up. She showed me the pregnancy stick and I didn't want to believe it. Didn't even talk to her rest of the night. Didn't even talk to her. Couldn't even enjoy that moment with her because mm. that wasn't the plan. So that's really what created the snowball effect within my marriage. And that's where a lot of men who go through this is why I say it the way I do. A lot of men die, slowly die, a slow death in their 30s, their 40s. We just don't bury them until they're in their 80s. They always say to themselves, it's always going to be like this. It's always going to be like this. Uh, I can't get out of my way because I'm self-sabotaging. I don't care if they're a CEO, a CFO, a, a sales guy, a producer, or some guy getting started, they get lost. They just exist. They don't actively live. And it becomes an entitlement game, a welfare state that we put ourselves in. Interesting. So, okay, let's, man, that was, that was a lot. The Coke addiction, the Adderall addiction, the the fact that you weren't, you didn't even talk to your wife the whole night when she told you she was pregnant, mm -hmm. the control being part of an insecurity, where do you think that stems from? Like whether it's for you or for the men you work with, or what is it about the control that, that manifests itself in their life like that? And I want to, I want to make sure and reframe on this piece of it. Coke for me was socially like i would find myself in those mm. settings a good example of and going back to this the second year in our marriage or third she was pregnant with my son we went with we went to old miss and and went to go watch a football game i ended up snorting coke and i told myself i'd never do it again go to party and come back and you know just in time for her to wake up doing adderall was more of a i would say it was more of an addiction for me i mean it was got to that point where and I would not let anybody know about it. Like, honestly, yeah. I, 
I, when I first started talking about it, she didn't want to believe it because of cognitive dissonance, you know, which I'll mm-hmm. get to that here in a minute, because we're really good at putting on a show for the public. Everybody mm-hmm. is. This kind of goes back to the family that fights before they go into church, but then they button up their ties and they make sure that everybody sees them as the best family ever, like the Flanders. And then they come mm-hmm. out and they're fighting again. So we're, men are really good about that line. Uh, but to, to answer your question, I've been in intensive therapy for a long time and to, because I, I grew up in the perfect like household with my parents really being the models and the role models that every child seeks. Okay. And I come from a very strong family, uh, traditional Catholic family. So my values were instilled at me at a young age. So I know the difference between right and wrong. And that's what I yep. find to be, to, to be interesting that a lot of people think that you got to come from desolate times or you got to come from, you know, this harsh trauma for stories to be kind of blossomed and to be put on the silver screen. That's not true. Mine yep. was always seeking validation, which is another form of addiction, in my opinion, for a lot of people, in particular in today's world with social media, in particular you know, for millennial manhood, we're seeking for external validation, right? And that's that's an empty cup. That's never going to get full. Like if, if I'm constantly needing your validation, I'm constantly going to be empty. And so to, to, to drill that down, that's where a lot of it, the root is what I always look for. Where was the root? Where did it all start? So we can understand why we do the things we do. For me, that's where it was, right? And that's where it began. So I would lash out in, in different ways, right? To put the put to put the spotlight on me to make sure I was the center of attention, almost narcissistic in a lot of ways. <laughs> and to me, that's, you know, I would want to feel I would want to feel me taking on a challenge. And I love to feel the success of it. It reminds me of, and you look through the history of my life and, you know, seventh grade, I fell out of seventh grade, but then the spring semester, I got all straight A's and was the most improved. Ninth grade, I got kicked off the baseball team for cheating. Um, college, I had a 1.6, then brought it up to 3.7. Okay. So I had these feelings of like, how could I sabotage myself so I could feel the ride up. Mm, yeah. Like a lot of consistency in my life. And I was always starting over, even though I was experiencing success. And the other thing is too, I did not know how to master my emotions. I'm an, uh, an emotional guy. And if you can't master your emotions, they'll eventually master you. So I really boil it down to seeking the validation and, you know, it was, wasn't that I got enough hugs as a kid. I've got plenty of those. But as a man, it's deeply rooted in what we're brought up in, um, in some old school, outdated principles, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that answers the question. And when I want to touch on a couple things, but one thing which you literally just said, the old school outdated principles, there is value in certain traditional principles being passed down from generation to a generation. There is also principles that shouldn't be passed down. And, and here's what I mean by that. My great grandfather 
toiled his entire life in a field building up, you know, a ranching empire base. Like the man woke up every morning at four or five at dawn and worked with his hands and, and hired people to work, you know, to, to work with him. And he lived, he lived a completely different life. I'm talking to you, you know, what is it? 400 miles from Nashville to Little Rock Mm -hmm. (laughs) like via a computer and, a worldwide pandemic happened in the last year and a half, and I'm still able to have meetings with people because this camera thing works. Our entire social dynamics have changed. So again, certain things should be passed down. But then Absolutely. other things, it's like it's it's like, especially especially when it comes to the emotional aspect. Life was so freaking hard back then, you've had to be emotionally calloused. You had mm-hmm. no choice. We don't live in that world anymore. We have to adapt. Because our surroundings are not conducive to being that callous. Because we have way too many options to go do crazy crap. Because my great-grandfather also probably never met, went more than 30 miles further than his village. Mm-hmm. Like, that was his radius his entire life and and before that. So, um, the other thing was, on the side of mastering your emotions, that's something a lot of people struggle with. Mm-hmm. What was the process of you mastering your emotions? Because there's no there's no like field guide for it. It's not like you can just like open up a, a a template for Cole and say, okay, Cole, based on all your parameters, here's what you're supposed to do. Like it's a constant state of trial and error. Ryan Holiday has a good book out called Stillness is Key, and I think that's one of the principles we have to get back to talking about your grandfather, right? Like the one thing I admire about generations that came before us, and I'm a big history guy, is things were slower in the sense that mm-hmm. they're not they were not being hit with a ton of information right yep. um, and, and i'll get to that in answering your question um, and then this you know the other thing is too though what we brought in from the world war ii era the industrial revolution era especially for men is viewing vulnerability as a weakness you know and Brene brown has really done a, been a, a leader on that forefront to me vulnerability is a superpower but Emotions are what we give them power to. And for me, a lot of men in particular, myself, are fueled with anger, which is a direct derivative of our ego and fear. Right. That's what it is. It all it all is. And, and you know, uh, an instructor for some is a Green Beret, very highly decorated, says it best. He said feelings are bullshit. They are what you give your power to. Right. Don't get me wrong. We all like to feel happy. But then you feel sad or you get mad and someone cuts you off in traffic and you start throwing them the bird and stuff like that. And all of a sudden you just it's become an energy vampire. For me, what what has happened and it's a constant refinement process. You know, a lot of guys, it's because we've gotten so used to the easy button and so used to short circuiting and biohacking and finding the shortest path to the result we wanted they look at our life as a NASCAR race and they're waiting for the white flag for the last lap. There mm. is no white flag. There is no last lap. There are no finish lines. And it gets very exhausting at, at times in a mind that is chaotic. So where I really had to go to, and, and I'm a big proponent of therapy, of course, but you're not, no one's coming to save you. No one's coming to save you. You know, it's, it's you versus you at the end of the day. And I mean, for me, what ended up happening is I got tired of seeing the destruction I was creating in my wake, even if to the common eye, I was considered successful. Yeah. It was the pain that I was inflicting on myself 
and those that I love the most, my wife and my children, that no one got to see, right? But that's something I carried around. And really, for the past 10 to 12 years, you know, mastery is not masterful at the end of the day. It takes a lot of hard work and self-compassion and being willing to, to move, but just inch by inch by inch. So what I had to do, because my mind was, was a monkey mind, jumping from branch to branch. My primary emotion was anger, right? Mm. Fueled with anger. Right. I, I was addicted to responding to an email as quickly as possible. I was addicted to, um, you know, the, to honestly artificially creating chaos so I could feel somewhat fulfilled. Right. You know, that's what it was for me. Like if I didn't do this in this certain time frame, the world was going to come crashing down. And um, it really took uh, it was in Springfield, Missouri, and I was taking a client out to eat. And I had severe acid reflux. I couldn't eat anything without choking on it. I would literally have mm. to go to the bathroom to, it would get lodged right here and gag myself, throw up, and all that would come up was foam. I was, I was mm. so addicted to stress. And it was in a Mexican restaurant that the same thing happened. And I even told myself going into it, like, hey, dude, don't choke here at the table. Don't do it. <laughs> I took one bite of a fajita. I was drinking a big beer. I went to the bathroom and it was a hole in the wall. And I literally laid on that bathroom floor, that concrete floor, threw up, thought I was going to die, sweating profusely, foam coming out of my mouth. And I just laid there while there's someone waiting on the bathroom as a one holder, just knocking on the door. So at that point, I mean, when I drove off that night, I mean, it, 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 it woke me up to the point where I had to to go back to the to fundamentals and start start exploring more. And from an emotional perspective, what works for me is developing a witness and self-awareness. But man, it, it all was a derivative of pain, right? Mm. And it was a derivative of pain that I finally decided to, to make the move, not worrying so far in the future that I just cared about moving inch by inch. So meditation for me is a huge deal. Um, big time deal, calming that mind, creating stillness in my life. Uh, journaling is a huge deal with me and exploring it, but doing something with it, right? These are old school principles. You hear them all the time in different books, et cetera, but a lot of us don't take them serious enough and exploring. Yeah. Like I went back when we started exploring who I truly was and still am for that matter. So, you know, emotionally, like, Guys can go run a marathon. We can go crush it in business. But if you can't master your emotions, they're going to master you. And that's a lifelong pursuit. It really, really is because you're never going to be free at the end of the day. So it's been quite a journey. And, and, and I still practice my fundamentals every day, what I call my non-negotiables, to make life more effortless for me now. That's where I am with it. So what are your non-negotiables? My first non-negotiable is sleep. Um, so I've got five of them. Like if I don't sleep, which a lot of men don't, we're so busy drinking monsters and over-caffeinated and you know, all that. And that's where I was at that point in time. If I don't sleep, I'm not going to perform how I want to perform. I'm not going to be any good for anybody. You know, number two is meditation. Number three is movement. Number four is proper fueling 
All right. And then number five is just connection, connection with myself. Like that's, Hmm. those are my five non-negotiables every single day. And I won't let an energy vampire get in the way of any of those because I know I'm a basics guy, just like playing basketball. I got to go back to the fundamentals. Those are my non-negotiables. Yeah. I can explain why I'm more in detail, but I'll spare well, you. I, I thought it was interesting what you said you were a fan of the Stoics, and I've just recently rediscovered Ryan Holiday. So I read the first Ryan Holiday book I ever read was Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator from like 2011. Mm-hmm. And it and it was, I already knew a lot of the BS, but the fact that he actually went into the detail of how firms would hire him to manipulate media stories um, was just very, very eye-opening. Mm. So I knew about him, but I, I kind of somehow skipped the stoic you know, trend he was going down. So I just recently picked up uh, The Obstacle is the Way. Yeah. And um. I'm, I'm about 20, 30 pages from being done. Fantastic read. Yeah. Fan-freaking-tastic. So, so stillness is key is, uh, is next on my list. But – I want to I want to dive a little bit deeper into something you said earlier, where you said basically you were addicted to lying, you were hurting your wife, and you were hurting your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what I think you said around hurting them. How were you hurting them? You know, where where do you? If we go back to five years into your marriage and fatherhood, how different would that be from the f- husband and father you are today? Yeah. So great question. And. We hurt those that we love the most because they typically are going to catch the shrapnel first by not being yeah. loyal loyal to ourselves, to our why, and to our hero chase is what I like to call it. When you hurt your, your loved ones, when you lie to yourself first and you don't know thyself, they're not ever going to get the best, best of you. Mm. Plain and simple. They're just not going to, if you're not willing to work on who you are to the core, and I'm not talking about six minute ab that I'm talking about deep work. They're never going to get the best of you. So mm. what I, what I said there was did I emotionally inflict pain on them. No, that's not what I did. Was there any physical pain? No, but a lot of times we, as men can become addicted to lying. And this entire time, if I am not, pushing the needle and creating a wake of impact. My kids are never going to get better. If I'm never showing them what leadership truly looks like and what vulnerability truly looks like and understanding the perfectly flawed system and embracing it, I'm never going to to truly fulfill my duties as a father. If I don't show them how to not just love their mother, right? You know, and that's what I meant by that. So a lot of times when we inflict pain, it's involuntarily and we don't even realize it. So how do you feel about the fact that, because I've started thinking about this, you know, when my wife and I have kids, there's over a hundred episodes of this podcast alone. And I started thinking about crap. My grandkids will probably be able to pull up as long as the cloud still exists a hundred years from now or whatever. Um, my grandkids will probably be able to pull up this and, and listen to me talk and listen to me probably say some stupid crap, probably say some profound crap, um, some vulnerable things. Sure. How do you feel about your, you have one son, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about your son in particular? Let's say in 20 years, listening to this episode or any of the other things that you've shared 
Like, how do you come to terms with that? And, and how do you, I guess, how do you help him not make the same mistakes you've made? So it's, I guess it's a two prong question. Sure. Well, let's start with the second part of the question and then I'll get into the first, right? All right. And you want your kids to make mistakes. You want your kids to fail. You know, you, you, they have to honor the struggle. Now I'll say this, you want them to learn from it, right? So for me as a father, mm-hmm. understanding who I am at the core and I embrace it, understanding everything that's happened in my life has happened for me and not to me. When he strikes out at the plate, the quickest thing I can do is get him to empty his mind and, and not shame himself, right? Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it's really easy as as parents and Ashley and I are very competitive parents. I'm not going to sugarcoat that, but that's I the only way you as a man are going to realize your truest potential. He's got the like your podcast episodes. That's your legacy, man. It's impact, right? It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. You're giving people gold. What they do with it's up to them. You know, my my son Landon, I can already see some some of those boy traits, you know, those men traits, he's, he, he right now is struggling with lying and and wanting to conform and wanting to seek that validation when all he has it all right here. So reinforcing that and, and being true, he's seven now, he's turning eight. So he's not going to fully understand dear old dad's trials and tribulations (laughs) that he went through. Right. But, um, yeah, you know, so, a piece of that is yet you got to let them suffer and you got to be there to, to hold them lovingly accountable. That's what always worked for me. <clears throat> and it's going to be hard when it comes to that time too, for myself and my wife in particular, Ashley. Uh, but to the first part of it is I, I have nothing to hide. So when they listen to all this and I, that's a part of the problem, Right. You have a lot of parents walking around acting as if and I'm not a perfect parent and I'm not here to give parental advice in regards to that. But the quicker you can be truthful with your children and vulnerable with your children and say, hey, these are the things that I had. I have done in my life. Not I'm not the most proud of them, but here are the things I've done really, really well the quicker they're going to be able to evolve into leaders, which is what we need in this country. And understand exactly, okay, I come up against this obstacle. It is the way. So that's a, you know, that is the mindset we preach is the growth mindset versus coming up against the obstacle and retreating. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, for me, that's the biggest thing. Like, that's why I wrote my book. It's getting published on September 1st, or it'll be fully released on September 1st. And man, it's, it's the raw, the real, right? I mean, I deal with guys who have been sexually abused when they were children. I've dealt with men that mm. have attempted suicide. And, you know, I deal with men that are former addicts. And these are guys that are in C-level suites. These are guys mm. that are guys like me and you, right? And the, the I just feel that it's a good conduit for your family when it's presented at the right time. And as long as you are you are the standard. If you're still repeating a lot of these behaviors and you can't truly parent your children, in my opinion, because you're only living a life of hypocrisy. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. 
on so many different levels. I mean, even what you said about the type of men that you deal with, the type of trauma they've gone through, the type of struggles that they've had. And like you said, they're C-suite folks, you know, well, you, you don't. Doctors, you, you, lawyers, yeah, entrepreneurs. You, you, you see the success from a financial standpoint, from a professional standpoint, but you don't like, are they successful at this level because they're constantly trying to prove some value or worth or are they, you know, there's a million different reasons of why somebody can get to that point and all the things behind the scenes that may have never been dealt with that I think is so crucial because we have this tendency, especially in this highlight real world of Instagram and all this other bull crap, um, where we only envision the most positive. There's so much like life's hard. I've talked about this a million times on the podcast. Life is freaking hard. Like there's nothing easy about life. And that's what makes life beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that, you know, is, a, is an episode in itself, but I do want to touch base a little bit on your book. So what made you write the book? Yeah. What was the, what was the Genesis story of that? What are you hoping to accomplish with it? Well, I mean, man, first and foremost, whether I sell one copy or a thousand, I don't really, the number doesn't, it's about impact. My ethos yep. calls for as long as I can help one man change, then my job here is is done because it creates generational impact. And I believe that what made me write the book, it goes back to my children and it goes back to men out there that do need help. And I felt that my story will, and it was therapeutic for me, plain and simple. It was a therapeutic process understanding I have a lot to lose with this book, meaning I'm coming out just saying, Hey, here's the good, the bad, the ugly in the professional career that I work in. It's not very much talked about, right? Yeah. It's, it's just not. So I understand that, but this is what I was called to do. And if I am there to live my why, then I have to be the guy that truly is not meeting the standard, but is the standard. And so what I want to accomplish with it, it's simple, man. It's just impact, putting a dent in the universe, right? It's the crazy ones that change the world, like Steve Jobs has famously said. And that's it. And it gives an opportunity for my son asked me about it all the time. He said, Dad, you're you're the boss of School of Man, right? And I just love it because he's like, you know, Dad, when I get out of college, I'm gonna I wanna run School of Man. I said, Well, you gotta earn your stripes and Yeah. And so that's that's a part of it. Like, and I wanna show that my children that you know, what you think is impossible, we hurl rocket ships into space, but what you think is impossible, you can reverse engineer to make it possible, right? And yeah. so that that's it, man. I mean, it's just a part of who I am and my fabric, and I'm not putting a lot of expectations on it, man, as long as it helps one. And, and it's not just me. There's a lot of men from the SOM who talk about their experience as a man. And... And I think it's just time. I think a lot of, a lot of, it, there's a lot of books written out there about vulnerability, but there's very few books written out, written about how does an, an unhealthy alpha convert himself into a healthy alpha? And it's a constant pursuit. I think there's also an interesting concept here where, again, you're talking about your kids. One of the hardest things, in my opinion, for kids to wrap their head around once they get older is the imperfection of their parents and yeah. how a lot of the time the, from our parents, it was do as I say, not as I do. And there can be a lot of resentment and anger that comes out of that. And it takes time to understand that the reason they were saying do as I say, not as I do is not because they wanted to be hypocrites, but because they wanted us to be better than them. And 
Yeah, I think part I of agree. the beauty of what you're doing and is you're almost not giving your kids the opportunity to not know that you uh, you're screwed up in a lot of ways. You know, just as a human being. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a good point that you made, and it's like it's like the dad that smokes weed, right? And his son sees him smoking yeah. weed and I don't have anything against you smoking weed or anything like that. But I, I it, it goes back to what are you looking to teach? Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the dad that smokes weed. And then he's like, oh, you're 16 now. I want to smoke a joint with you. And then all of a sudden you set an emotion. You set an emotion, some something that might be unhealthy for that young man, and now you're looking at him at 20, 21, 22, and you're dealing with a lot of problems, right? Same thing with the yep. dad that comes home every every day from work and starts drinking a glass of wine or a cocktail, and it becomes three, four, five, and he's drinking five days a week. Does that make sense And what I'm saying in that regard? So you, but yeah, so that's, you know, and I think that's, you hit the nail on the head when it comes, when we become adults, then it all of a sudden you're like, what the hell, you know, what, you know, I was told this and now I'm resenting, you know, a piece of what my parents taught me. And then all of a sudden we're lashing out in different ways and I'm just using those as examples. So anyway. So hopefully I'm making sense. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. And uh, it, it kind of segues a little bit into um, the last question that I really have for you is, and it's the same question I ask every single time when I interview someone, if, if you could go back to 18 year old Cole, you know, wide eyed, bushy tail going into university of central Arkansas. And there's mm-hmm. one piece of advice you could give yourself knowing all that, you know, and knowing all that you know about yourself at this point, what's that one piece of advice you'd give yourself? It's a great question. It would be quit conforming, quit conforming. At the end of the day, be who you were created to be. Quit conforming to social circles, quit conforming to what you think other people want you to be. Be unapologetic at the end of the day for your flaws and embrace them. And that's a part of the emotional Mm -hmm. journey and maturity at the end of the day. That's, that's what I would have told myself because I was so addicted to what other people thought of me. And Hmm. it, and again, that was a part of the journey at the, you know, but be confident in who you are, you know, have a stand, have a stand, have a backbone Hmm. and, Hmm. and be willing to operate with a growth mindset, but Quit conforming. I would tell that to grown ass men right now. Quit conforming. Quit seeking external validation or extrinsic motivation and focus on fulfillment versus achievement. Right? It's a hard thing to do. Once you let go, mm. it's all, it's amazing what you can accomplish in your life. That's powerful. I like that. Quit conforming. Um, Quit conforming. How can people get a hold of you, learn about School of Man, learn about your book? I mean, what, what, uh, how do, how do people learn more about you? Find School of Man on schoolofman.live. Plenty to 
download there and consume, right? Of course, you can follow us on social at the School of Man for Facebook and Instagram. We're getting started on Rumble uh, and TikTok. We'll be doing some dances, maybe. I don't know. And then for me in the book, you can pre-order the book on Amazon right now. It's, it's under School of Man, A Man's Guide to Living, Loving, and Legacy by Cole Rogers. We are about to release its own personal website. Um, so with that being said, uh, that's that's the best place to start. And feel free to reach out to me personally, Cole at schoolofman.live. I'm always up for a one-on-one conversation. I know exactly why I was created, and I'm here to be an instrument of impact and help liberate other men and do it in the most healthiest ways. Mm, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, go check it out, guys. I mean, I, th- I thought this conversation was incredible and I think I'm excited about the book and I'm excited to just see where your journey takes you. I'll follow you on social media and, and see all the things that you're doing. Um, for everybody listening, manhoodpod.com, rate a, give us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, share us, et cetera. Um, the interview, if you've got constructive criticism, keyword constructive, don't just complain. You got to offer a solution. You can also reach out at info at manhoodpod.com. And outside of that, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you.